Who had a favorite TV show that they enjoyed watching? Anybody had a favorite TV show? Telenovela? Yeah. What was your favorite TV show? Gilligan's Island. Did you identify with Gilligan or Skipper? Professor. Yeah, I, I see that. You got the, got the hair. It's kind of similar. Uh, anybody else? Favorite TV show? All that. Is that like Nickelodeon or something? Oh, I'm, I'm not even that old. I have no idea. Help me, Adam. Help me, man. Uh, anybody else? Favorite TV show? The Fugitive. Then I saw the movie. I was like, there's a show? I didn't know. What are man. All right. Anybody else? Yeah, see, some of this I'm going to miss. I'll say Sanford and Son or something, you know, maybe. Right? That's funny, huh? Yeah. Too many shows. Uh, too many shows. Anybody else care to, to throw one out there? You didn't watch TV as a kid. You were too busy. Dark Shadows? I don't know. This is good. Stump, stump uh, Sheldon with your shows. Um, anybody watch Happy Days? I mean, come on, there's some there. How about um, Six Million Dollar Man, Bionic Woman, uh, Dallas, maybe a Dallas person? Okay. I'm trying to find the right demographic here. I know you guys. All right, how about for my guys over here? about TGIF? Who remembers that? And you guys with me? No? Family Matters? Okay, all right. I'm trying to find some common ground here. Tiffany, are you with me? Family Matters? Steve Urkel? Come on. I, I remember as a kid, you know, on, on TGIF, it was on Friday night. You had, to, you had to rearrange your life, and this is crazy. You'd have to, like, turn the TV on at a certain time. 8 o'clock, 8.30, you had to watch it. If you were doing something else, they didn't stop the show and wait for you. They just played the show on the TV and they went on with their life. And they weren't waiting for you. And now, I don't know about you, here's, here's a new thing we've invented. Now, they used to always was binge eating, but now we have something called binge watching. Who's ever binge watched a show? Anybody? Yeah, I'm Cecilia, yeah, I think you'd qualify. Uh, who's ever binge watched a show? Thank you, Netflix. Thank you, all the other services that we have today. Um, you know, you sit there and just watch episode after episode. I think the first time we ever, Cass and I, ever binge-watched anything wasn't even on a digital device. It was just a, the DVD series of 24. We had season one and season two we got for Christmas. And we sat there, and I think it was over like a Christmas break. We watched show after show, just binge-watched as much as we want. And we could just do it because we were in control. We had the remote, and we could press play. And that's how it worked. But you know, here's the funny thing. We live in an on-demand society. We have shifted from uh, a society where we can, we have to rearrange our lives, our schedule to meet that which is there. You know, hey, I, if I want to watch, you know, Laverne and Shirley, if I want to watch Dallas, I got to, I got to rearrange my life and I got to be there when it's on. Now we, we, we have everything rearranged for us. It's called on-demand. Life is on-demand. If we want to watch what we want to watch, it's on-demand. If I, want, if I want this now, I have it on demand. And, and what I want to talk about today as we look at this series, I want to believe, but I want to look at some of the things when we, when we rub up against the difficulty to believe in God or, or have faith. I believe sometimes what we're struggling with is not really an image of the real God, but we're struggling with something we've created. So what I want to look at today is the on-demand God. A lot of people believe that God is on-demand God. Now, Stephanie will say he's an on-time God. Yes, he is. And Terrell will play. Right? If you've been around long enough, you know how that goes. 
All right, but we're talking about the on-demand God. That's different than the on-time God. Okay, so the on-demand God is what a lot of people, maybe us here in this room, and possibly many people in our in our society, really believe that God is. And when they rub up against the on-demand God and things aren't working right and the remote's not working, uh, things can go south. And it's like I want to believe, I want to believe in God, but this is not it. You know, this could this could look this way. You know, as a teenager, maybe you. Or, or someone prayed for their parents' marriage, um, and, and it didn't work out so well. You know, the parents end up getting divorced, and you think, you know, God, I prayed for this. Where are you? I thought if I prayed, you would answer. Um, maybe you're faithful and giving. You heard about tithing, pastors talking about that. You do it, and then you're like, hey, so when's this going to kind of come back to help me here? It's not working. God, I thought if I did this... Um, you're supposed to like hook me up with more money or something, right? That wasn't a promise. You're going to pour out the windows of heaven. and I don't see any windows of heaven. Um, maybe you prayed for a loved one. Maybe you believe that God would heal them. This is so common. We pray for people all the time. We know that God is a healing God, that God is able. We've seen other people testify that God healed them. We pray for somebody and we wonder, God, you didn't do what I thought you would do. You, wouldn't, you weren't showing up when I prayed. I want to believe, but what is, what's going on with this? Um, and when, so often when God doesn't do what we think he should do, or, or even do what we know he could do, um, a lot of people can get frustrated and basically conclude that God's not real, he isn't powerful, he isn't good, or he just doesn't care. This is, this is the God that's, that, that we're trying to serve, and he's, just, he's not doing what we think. Um, God doesn't care. So where is the on-demand God? And here, here's a simple answer. Taking notes, you got the sheet. If you need a sheet, you have a sheet that's back there. You fill the blanks, dude. You can do that if you want to. I'm not going to grade you, but you can for your own benefit. Here, here's what it is the on demand God does not exist. On demand God does not exist. God on demand does not exist. That's not how it works. Pray that God would get rid of my depression. He didn't get rid of my depression. Well, I guess there's not a God. Well, that's not the God that exists. I prayed that he would save my marriage, didn't work, therefore I can't serve God because he didn't show up. But that's not exactly how God works. But this is what we want to believe. He's not real, he's not there, he's not good, he doesn't care. But on-demand God doesn't exist. Let me give you an example of of what I'm talking about with on-demand God. This will help you. My daughter, Cecilia, was in the Aladdin play. You guys may have seen the Disney movie Aladdin. Um... Robin Williams is the, the genie. Uh, in, in this movie, Aladdin, or in, in, in the story of Aladdin, the genie is an all-powerful uh, being, yet it's, this genie is restricted in its ability. This genie is, is subject to the person who finds the lamp, rubs the lamp, and gets three wishes. So this genie, in a way, can make anything happen, but the genie is subject to whoever owns the lamp. And so that's, that's great in, in a movie, that's great in a play, and it's funny and all that. But when we start to believe that God is, is the genie, he's all-powerful, he can do anything, and all I need is three wishes. I don't want to bug you every day, God. You know, I'm not coming with everything I got in my life. I'm not, I'm not even trying to, you know, deal with you too much. Um, but this one thing, God, if you just do this one thing, I'm going to rub the lamp. I got three wishes, right? Hey, I'll just do one wish my whole life, just two, maybe. But when God doesn't show up when he doesn't respond like the genie, we wonder, man, this whole thing, what's up with this whole God thing? Maybe there's not even a God. 
And a lot of people, that's what they've rejected is not the real God, but the genie God, the on-demand God that really doesn't exist. This is the God that they're rejecting. And so when you're talking with people, uh, sometimes it's important to understand what type of God are you believing that there is? Is it a God that you rub the lamp and he does what you want, uh, whatever you want, as long as you don't bug him too much? Or, or is this something totally different? Another way to look at it is, is, is I was going to do this, but I didn't bring the paper. If I were to draw a picture of, let's say, Mike. Now, Mike's a good-looking guy. That's what Connie thinks, right? If I were to draw a picture of Mike, I can promise you, it's not going to turn out so great. You know, I'm going to look at Mike. I'm all of my drawing ability. I'm going to draw the mustache, draw the crew cut, red shirt. And if I present this picture of Mike, you might think, man, Mike is one ugly dude. He really is. This guy, Mike, is not attractive. But you know what? It's not Mike. It's my picture of Mike that I presented. It's not actually Mike. It's just what I've drawn. And this is sometimes what people are rejecting, the picture of God that's been presented, not the real God. And the picture that's been drawn could be a pretty ugly picture. It could be pretty disproportionate to what God really is. And so during this series, I want to look at some different pictures of God that people draw. They aren't really God. But those are the things people reject. Those are the things that people push aside. And in the process, they reject the, the real God. So we have to make sure where we... We have to kind of zoom out for a second and see where we fit into the whole picture of who God is. The grand story. Creation, eternity. Get outside of our, our struggles, our life, our difficulties, the stuff that we deal with every single day. I know it's hard. But if we can zoom out of that, we have to see how great and how magnificent God really is. And, and on your paper, you can write this on the top. Here's the reality. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve Him. That's a perspective that we have to maintain in the difficulties of life, in the moments of life. We have to see, how does this all work out here? Did God... Did God show up on the scene? We were here and he showed up. Hey, I'm your genie to help you in the middle of your stuff. And if the genie doesn't do what we want, we kick him to the curb and move on. Or is God overarching everything? And we enter into his plan. We enter into his world. We enter into his scene. And we get along with his program. See, we've got it twisted sometimes in our modern religion. Um, I'm not trying to get too intellectual but in some of my studies, there's a guy named Christian Smith who labels, I think I've shared this before, maybe David will remember this. Um, in America, in Western culture, what they, what they, when people say I'm a Christian, many times, what they're referring to, they call it moralistic therapeutic deism. This is a term that was created. People don't know this term, but this is what they created to describe American Christianity. It's moralistic in the way that I want to be a good person. If I'm a good person, I win with God. So if I'm like 51% good, then I go to heaven. Or maybe 35. However God breaks on the curve or something, you know. So he, he'll bump everybody up. As long as I'm not like Hitler or some of those people, I'm pretty good. People have all different perspectives, but 51% is a good number because I'm more good than bad. That's moralistic. I'm, I'm a decent person, you know. Uh, therapeutic. We do all of this. For our own benefit. You come to church so you feel better, right? If you didn't feel better, why are you going to go to church? That's a therapeutic view of church. Now, it's not wrong to feel better. I hope people feel better. God, in a way, it's not complete. The reason this is so 
uh, enticing is because it's not completely wrong. Does God want us to live moral lives? Yes. But is that the only thing that's out there? No. Does God want us to deal with us and make us feel better? Does he actually help us? Yes, sometimes. Sometimes not, though. And the deism part, that's a little bit uh, deeper term, but that basically means that God is there. In, in traditional deism, God set everything up. And he designed the universe, designed all the laws, and then he said, you guys go at it and you make it happen. And this was kind of an 18th century belief from our founding fathers. Uh, last, the modern idea is that God is there, but you don't bug him too much unless we're big stuff. So there's a God, but you live your life, and only with the big stuff you bug him, and, and he should show up and help you. And so this is kind of this, this belief that a lot of people have latched onto. And the problem is this stuff, it doesn't really work that much. It may work for a, a few months, a few years, but when it comes, push comes to shove, this way of, of being a Christian, this way of being a spiritual person, it's not that effective. It's not that fulfilling. Because God doesn't operate inside of our confines. He doesn't operate inside of the system that we've developed. Because he's the creator, we're the creator. He's not the cosmic cook machine, stick the quarter in, get our thing out. He's not, that's just not how it works. So if that's not who he is, what is God's role in our life? Who is he? We're going to look at three things and focus on this morning, qualities of God's heart. What is, what is his heart toward us? If he's not the on-demand God, if he's not the genie in the lamp, who is he? Number one, this is what I want to share. It's God's heart is always loving. God's heart is always loving. We can count on this. God's heart is always loving. Whatever your situation, whatever you're going through, God's heart is always loving. You have to latch on to that. You have to know that. As a parent, I have four children. Many of you are parents in here. There's never a time in my life where I don't love my kids. Now, I'm not a perfect parent. There's many times where I want them to go outside. I want them to go across the street to meet at Papa's house and eat some Oreos. I want them to just leave the room that I'm in, you know, because I, you know, I'm up to here. But there's never a moment where I don't love my kids. I love my kids, and I'm imperfect. The Bible even says this, and it's kind of a little put down, thank you Jesus, but it says, if you being evil, Matthew seven eleven, know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more does the Heavenly Father want to give the Holy Spirit, want to give good gifts to His, His children? So even us as human parents, we love our children. The Bible even recognizes that we're not perfect, but we love our kids. But here's the thing. Just because I love my children does not mean that every time they ask me for something that I do it. I mean, you know that. That's common sense. Every time your kid asks you for something, hey, can I do this? Uh, sure, sure. You know, you know what type of lives they would live if that's what I said? Every time they asked me, I'd say, sure. I, I, I would be a very poor parent. I, they'd probably have social services at my house because my kids would be doing some really wacky stuff. My kids are crazy. You know, they would, I don't know what they would do. So as a parent, my role is not to just say yes to everything they ask, ask for. It's to, to, to help guide them to become the people they're supposed to be. In that, will I say yes? Sometimes sure. Yes. Sometimes I'll say no. Sometimes it's not the right time. This is the, the role of a parent. And God is the ultimate parent. He is our heavenly father. And his heart is always loving to us. But doesn't mean he always says yes to what we ask. That he always says this is... This is what I'm, it's just because you're asking me, I'm going to do that. And sometimes, let me, let me just say, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense, but God is always loving. This is what the Bible says. This is how we know this. Even when God doesn't answer our prayers, even when he doesn't do exactly what we want, what he, we believe he could or should do, this is not a signal that God doesn't love us. It says this Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? Now, okay, that's a lot of stuff. And you may not even worry about nakedness and a sword. If you're worried about that, that's interesting. I'd like to see what you're going through in your week, you know. But let, let, let's kind of break this down into a modern version, okay? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall financial trouble? Shall relationship breakdowns? Unemployment? Cancer? Depression? Shall this separate us from the love of Christ? And the answer is no. Paul answers this in verse 37 of Romans 8. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38 goes on to say this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's heart is always loving toward us. In the midst of that, it sounds like a lot of action is going on. Just because he has a loving heart doesn't mean that your life is going to be pretty simple and easy. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in this text that don't sound very exciting, that I don't want in my life, but that says none of this can separate us from the love of God. We need to understand that God doesn't prove his love for us by how he responds to our particular prayers. Even when we think this makes complete sense, God, do this. This is what you should do. I mean, this is a no-brainer. But God is not proving or disproving his love for us in how he responds to our prayers. He showed his love forever when he gave his own son on our behalf. That's where he's demonstrated his love. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He's already demonstrated his love in that he would want those that are rejecting him, he would want them back into his family. That he would extend grace time and time again in our lives, but we don't deserve it. This is the love of God. Does, that, does it mean that God never wants to answer your prayer? No. But we have to understand that his answer in that moment is not a contingency whether or not he loves us. Because God's love is always there. His heart is always loving for us. Number two, not only is God's heart always loving, God's ways are always higher. God's ways are always higher. You know, as a pastor, there's so many times people think because you are a pastor, that you have some sort of special insight into spiritual things in the heavenly realm of, of the reasons why God does this and that. And sometimes I know as a young pastor, and I'm still a young pastor, I'm like, I'm going to be a young pastor for another 25, 30 years. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, but you, know, you feel a pressure, like, okay, man, am I supposed to know this? Because I went to school for four years, but I don't remember them telling me all the answers of what God's doing. Maybe I could make something up. But I found out that's not very helpful. It's not. It's actually could be pretty detrimental if you start making stuff up. Uh, what is God doing, Pastor? Why is this happening, Pastor? And, and so often, whether you're a pastor or whether you started serving the Lord this week, we don't know. Truth is, we don't know. There's many things in life that happen that we just simply don't know why this happens. God's ways are higher than our ways, and, and we can attempt. We can make some, some guesses, but it does not mean that we really know. Um, you know what? Why is a child born handicapped? I mean, we, we could say, well, there's this, this. But if you're in that moment with that parent in that room, all your answers, well, actually, because of the fault, man. And do they want to hear that? No. 
Sometimes there, there is no good answer. There is no answer. It's like, okay, that's great. Thanks. That's what I need to know. Um, you know, a really great person struck down in the middle of their life. Maybe a drunk driver hits them. The drunk driver lives. You know, the person, great person, family, they're, they're dead. You think, where's the justice in that? God, why, why would that person live and this person die? I remember as a kid in my church, there was a, there was a family. Um, I believe the guy was, was a military guy. You know, great family. Saw part of the church. Um, somehow, some way, a guy got on the wrong way. Drunk driver, 285, goes around Atlanta. Drove the wrong way on 285, hit them head on. Killed the dad. Injured the kids. The, they were in the hospital. I mean, and I remember as, as a, I was probably 10 years old, 11, 12 years old, in the midst of this, wondering, God, what? This doesn't make sense. You know, why would, why would you let this happen? You know, I know these people. These are, you know, these are people of our church. These are good people. Why, why did this happen? And, and there was no, there's no real answer. You know, it, it caused trauma to that family. It caused a lot of issues down the road. And I don't know the answer. God, why couldn't you just prevent that? Why couldn't the guy just turn this way or that way? And God, you can do anything, right? And a lot of times we don't know. We don't know why. God's ways are higher. A natural disaster strikes. It kills so many people. A, a terrorist attack. God, why did this happen? I don't understand it. Why them and not somebody else? Now, I've, I've taken, you know, my master's now. So I've got the four years now. I've got three more years. So I'm really a genius now. Um, but in one of my master's classes called the philosophy of religion. So it's a mixture of philosophy and religion, theology mixed together. And there are certain topics that come up within the philosophy of religion. And one of them is the problem of evil. And we spent a whole good while discussing this, reading authors. And I went back over, when preparing for this message, I went back over some of my notes, just kind of reading on this, because this is something that will not go away. We will, we will come, we will go, we will perish. But the next generation, generation after that, We'll continue to struggle with this. Why is there evil if there is a good God? Um, one, one author, one uh, theologian, or he wasn't a theologian, he's a philosopher. Um, he's actually kind of a pre-runner to atheism. You may have heard of David Hume, uh, 18th century Scottish philosopher. And uh, he said this, is, is God, is he willing to prevent evil but not able? Then he's impotent. He has no power. If he's able but not willing, then he's malevolent. He's evil. And if he's both able and willing, whence is he? So this is the, the, the issues that these philosophers are dealing with. And this one, not having a, a, a foundation of faith, couldn't see through it. He couldn't see there, there can't be a God. This guy landed on an atheistic perspective. There is no God. It must be just up to us. He goes on and writes this. All the goods of life united would not make a very happy man. This is a pretty negative perspective. He didn't have his happy juice in the morning. So. But all the ills united would make a wretch indeed. And any one of them almost, and who could be free of everyone? Nay, the absence of one good who could possess all is sufficient to render life ineligible. So this guy's saying, let me break this down. Life is just too stinking hard, too difficult. There's not enough good in life for there to be a loving God. There's just too much difficulty, too much hardship. There's just not worth it all. But you know what? I was reflecting on that and thinking about, I took a trip to Haiti in 2013. It's one of the poorest countries in this hemisphere. Haiti's a, a country that has so much poverty. They experienced a tragic earthquake and they have all these things that they're trying to go through. But you know what the funny thing is? 
even in the difficulty that these, these kids were experiencing, there was just, just a simple joy in their lives. We went to a village. Many of the children didn't even have clothes on. Eight, nine, ten-year-old kids with no clothes. I mean, the basics, the basics. But they had a smile on their face. That's pretty strange. That David Hume would not be able to figure that out. He would not be able to, to reason. So these people are in the worst situation possible, but they figured out how to find joy. So there's something else going on in, in this world. And God's Spirit moves at some level, even in the places where people don't have a knowledge of God. I, I believe God, by His Spirit, can even bring relief to people where they can experience even a smile on their face, even the worst situation. We would think, man, if I was in that, I couldn't have a one happy day. You know, we look at our life, you know, our, our internet goes out, we're like, dude, life's over. You know? Or, or whatever, our car doesn't start, or, you know, all in all, we think, this is the worst thing ever. We're thinking like David Hume, we're thinking like this philosopher, even if the absence of one good uh, makes my life ineligible, you know? Where these kids have nothing, not even clothes, and they have a smile on their face. It's crazy. So, I don't know, maybe, maybe God's up to something, maybe he's present, maybe he's doing things even when we don't see it. This is what the Bible says, God's ways are always higher. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. I take comfort to recognize that God is wiser than I am. God has a different vantage point. He sees outside of time. He sees outside of my limited capacity. I can see some things, but God sees everything. And so his ways are different. His ways are higher. Is it, what he's doing doesn't necessarily fit my framework all the time, but God is doing something. He's up to something good. He's, he has a loving heart, and he's wiser than I am. You think of the story of Joseph in Genesis, the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 37 and beyond. This is a great example of, of how, if you have a limited, your own perspective, you could really think, you know what, I want to believe God, but I don't see it. Joseph was given an amazing dream as a young man. He was blessed. Everything was going great. He was the loved child of 12. He was the beloved kid. Everything was great. But then all of a sudden, things went south. He was sold to slavery. His brothers turned on him. His dad thought he was dead. And you could wonder, even at that moment, God, what are you doing? God, I thought, I want to believe, but... I thought you were going to bless me. I thought you were going to fulfill this dream you gave me. And he goes through this situation. If you know the story, he goes to Potiphar's house. Um, and he, he tries to live right. He tries to be moral. You know, God blesses people that are moral, right? Well, no, not always. Because he was trying to do the moral right thing. And he got thrown in jail. So even in, when you try to do what's right, sometimes no good deed goes unpunished, they say, right? So he was trying to do what's right. And he gets thrown in prison. Where's the justice in that? Where's God in that? You know, if he wanted to, he could have given up on God right there and said, God, you know, you totally abandoned me. You don't care about me. What are you doing, God? But he goes to prison. He doesn't give up on God. He says, you know, I don't understand this, but I'm going to keep doing what I know to do. I'm going to keep being who God's called me to be. And he goes to prison. He rises up in the ranks there and becomes a, a trusted person in there. And they let him kind of run the prison. In comes the baker, the butler, the king. And they have dreams. God gives him the interpretation. He says, please remember me. You know, don't forget me. I don't want to be in this prison. I didn't do anything. But do they remember him? No. He gets left behind. He can sit there and think, God, what are you doing? I'm, I'm doing everything right and nothing is going right. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to do. Nothing is going right. 
Ever felt that way? Ever felt like, you know, I, what am I doing wrong? I mean, you know, a lot, a lot of times we do stuff wrong. But sometimes we sit there and we're like, really? I, I'm not trying to do anything wrong. I'm trying to live right. And nothing is going right. And this is Joseph. This is his whole story. I encourage you to read it this week. If you're in that situation right now where you feel like, you know what? God, I don't understand what is going on. You're in good company. So Joseph is there finally, finally in the right time. Not on demand, but in the right time. God shows up, moves on the heart of the, you know, gives the king a dream. Pharaoh looks for somebody that can interpret it. And, and the guy remembers. All right. There's a guy in prison. He comes before the king. And he's able to interpret this dream through God's spirit. All of a sudden, he's elevated in a day from being a lowly prisoner, a forgotten person, somebody that totally you would think, man, God has just given up on me, to the second in command in all of Egypt. I mean, it's a crazy story. It's, it's unbelievable. But we don't see what God's going, doing. We don't understand the path we're on. We don't understand where he's leading us, where he's guiding us. It doesn't always make sense in that moment. But God is always wiser than we are. There's not a moment where you are wiser than God. I don't know when that could ever happen, where we would know more than God. God knows more than we do. He sees it differently than we do. And finally this, God's presence is always enough. God's presence is always enough. And the irony of this is, this is not something that, even though I'm telling you this, and you may be even writing this on a piece of paper right now, this is not something that you can come to know just through someone telling you, my God's presence is enough. Well, thanks, Pastor Shell. That's great. It's something that you have to experience. It's something that you have to yourself experience to really make that latch onto your head. Somebody's put it this way. You, you never know. You'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. You'll never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And this is, this is the truth of this. When, when we walk through those dark valleys, we can look to this, we can look to that, we can look to all these other things. But when we stop doing that and say, God, I have no answer. I have no solution. I have no, I don't know what to do. But I'm going to look to you and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rest in your presence because this is beyond me. That's when we begin to discover that God's presence is enough. I can't tell you that. I can't make that light bulb go off in your head. That's something that we have to all experience. David is an example from the Bible of this. David, he went on a pretty rough journey as well. You, you look at some of these Bible characters, a lot of times we want to look at the great victories in their life. You know, David, the man of God, man after God's heart. You know, Joseph, he saves his people, the family. But you know, a lot of these characters that God really used, you know, Elijah, what powerful guy, they had some pretty dark moments. They had some pretty down moments. They had some seasons of life that were not going great. They went through valleys after valleys after valleys. And David, he's, he's given us the Psalms. Many of these Psalms in the Bible were written by David. And you know, if you read them, many of them are not happy Psalms. At least... Part of the psalm isn't very happy. Maybe he gets to a happy point at the end. But a lot of the psalms, to be honest, are like, God, hello, where are you? God, don't you see my problems? God, don't you see that this is not fun? Don't you see that? Where are you? That's the psalms. 
Not every psalm is not praise the Lord in the sanctuary, praise. There's some of them, because sometimes life's like that. You come in, you, you know, things are going good, God's good all the time. But sometimes you wonder where God's at. You wonder what he's up to. And this is where David was. One of the most famous psalms, many of you probably could quote it. Psalm 23, it says in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your presence is enough. Your presence is enough. This is something David came to know, not because uh, Jesse told him, or one of his brothers who didn't really particularly like him, but this is something he discovered through his own journey, his own life, through his own walk with the Lord, that, you know what? I've had highs, I've had lows, but God's presence is what's going to sustain me. His presence is enough. You are with me. You know, thinking back in my, my time in Haiti, like I shared, I remember going to the, the worship service that we had with the Haitian believers that were there. And I'll be honest with you, it was probably one of the most powerful times of worship I've ever witnessed in my life. And uh, they were singing in the, the Creole uh, language that they, they speak, they were singing, Break Every Chain. Casse to chain or something like that. And it was just such a, an authentic worship of God, you really are all I have. I don't have a dollar. I don't have anything. My house couldn't, you know, their houses, they were living in, in manufactured, like these little tiny houses that, not the cool tiny houses on TV, you know, that you pull behind your car. I mean, these are like the tiny houses that nobody wants to live in, where you sleep. The pastor of the village slept on the kitchen table. That was their bed. But their, their heart to worship God was amazing. And if, in a way, I almost felt ashamed of my own walk with God. All the stuff I complain about, all the stuff that I'm worried about, these people have zero. And they are saying, there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. And you think, well, aren't there chains? I mean, you guys don't have money, you don't have it. Where's the power? You know, wouldn't you be frustrated? Their heart was just, Lord, we, want, we love you, we worship you. It was so authentic, so real, so powerful. You could feel the Spirit moving in that place. And, and it really just, it still rests on my heart when I think about my life, the things I, I look to sometimes, the things I want. God, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? God, you know, what about this? Does God care about our prayers? Of course. Does God listen? If you're a parent, do you care about what your kid says? Yes. But does that mean that I'm going to do everything that they want? No. And as God looks at our lives, he sees way beyond what we know. He sees beyond what we can see. And it doesn't always make sense. And, you know, you may never know why. You may never see it. There may not be a tiny, nice little bow wrapped on the story of your life. You may have to enter into eternity and stand before God and say, Okay, so can you tell me now? Because <laughs> I don't want to get it then. But God... His ways are higher, and His presence is enough. You know, as, as we just conclude this, this message this morning, you may be here this morning and thinking, you know, God, where are you? You know, I want to believe, but um, I want to, you know, I want to jump in with both feet, but I just, you know, I have this thing that I'm still struggling with. You know, I, I have this, this issue, God, I thought you would do this. You know, we all have those things. I know I've shared my story. I mean, there's probably many of us could stand up here and share those things that we've gone through. It's like, God, I just don't get it. But I want to encourage you this morning to, to realize that God's heart is always loving. 
don't forget, don't lose sight that God loves you. He hasn't stopped loving you in your ups and your downs, in your victories and your mistakes. He hasn't stopped loving you. He's, he's there. And, and you may not understand, you may not realize what's going on right now, but God has, he has a plan. He has a purpose. And if we would just let down, just let down our guard and say, Lord, I need your presence. I need your presence. I believe that's really when we start making progress. We start moving forward. We start understanding it and getting past those things that are holding us back. Um, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. We conclude today. I want to take a, a, just a brief moment just to let the Holy Spirit work in us. I recognize I have no I have no ability to make any change in any person. But God, God can do God can do anything. So let's just take a moment here. Lord Jesus, I ask that you be with us this morning. God, for those here that are going through difficulty, going through struggles, and God, they're wondering where you are, they're wondering what's going on. God, I pray that you would, right now, comfort them by your presence. Lord, for this, us here today that are struggling with faith, maybe we're on a crisis of faith, Maybe we believe, but we just we just can't seem to, to make progress. We can't seem to get further. Lord, I pray that you would help us, God. To not believe that you are the on-demand God that just does what we want. But Lord, you are so much bigger than that. You are so much greater than that. You have such a better plan than that. God, we don't, you don't exist, Lord, that you would serve us. We exist to serve you. So Lord, help us this morning. Help us, Lord God.